on, guys. Is it good to be here on a Sunday or what? Come on, man. This is what I'm talking about. No, no, no. Well, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Man, we are not at the Masters. Is it good to be in the house of the Lord today? Come on, man. This is what I'm talking about. Hey, listen, I want you to turn your Bibles to Philemon. And, uh, and while you're turning there, have you, ever, have you ever been forced to admit that you're wrong? Like, I mean, like, like, like forced to admit that you're wrong. Not like you wanted to admit it or you chose to admit, you're for, forced to admit. Lori and I had been married about, I don't know, a year or something like that. We were living in a little tiny apartment in Cincinnati. And one night, we must have been watching TV or something. I, all I remember is that it, it was after the 11 o'clock news, a commercial came on. And you know what commercials I'm talking about where they have a person that is like shouting at you through the TV. If you will only purchase this for, you know, four easy payments of $30, you will be changed forever. And what they were trying to sell me was an ab machine. And as the person is yelling at me and trying to get me to purchase this for four easy payments, they have a person who literally those abs had to be photoshopped in. I'm just saying it right now. And so he, this guy is using the ab machine. And so Lori's almost asleep and I'm watching. I'm like, Lori, I think I'm going to buy one of those things. <laughs> and she's like half, she won't even look at me. She's like, don't even do it. You'll never use it. I'm like, no, I'm going to buy me one of those. She's like, we don't even have it in our budget. Don't buy those things. I'm just looking at it, and she went to sleep. <laughs> and it had, you know, one of those <laughs> 1-800 numbers, like 1-800-NEED-ABS or whatever. <laughs> that actually would work. I'm going to tell you right now, if, you got, if you're selling that machine, 1-800-NEED-ABS, that'll work. People will call that. You're going to call it, like, just to see where it goes. Anyway, uh, I called this 1-800 number, and with my wife asleep beside me, ordered this ab machine. For four easy payments. Did not tell my wife about it. And so like five weeks later, this was before Amazon Prime. Like <laughs> five weeks later, the ad machine shows up from who knows where. And, and Lori comes home and I put this thing together and it's sitting in the tiny living room that we have. And it's taking up most of the space in our tiny living room. And she said, what's this? I'm like, Lori, I'm going to finally be able to get in shape. And it only cost us four easy payments. And she's like, Keith. And then she never, she never condemned me. All she did was she just, she never said a word. So I, I had two motivations. Number one, I wanted to get in shape. Number two, I knew that Lori was saying, you are never going to use a thing. I'm like, I'm going to use this thing. And so, man, faithfully, for the next week, Every morning and every night, I was using this bad boy. And, 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 and listen, man, I got like four weeks into this. And somehow, as I was pushing, I, I tried to find a picture of this on Google. It's like such a bad product that even Google Images got rid of anything. They're like, we don't want people to even see this. It's that bad. I, I pushed, and literally, one of the handles like irreparably broke. And so then it's just sitting there, and Lori's like, hey, I know she had not been using their ad machine. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to fix it. And I knew it wasn't going to be fixed. And so one day without saying a word to her, I just simply took it down to, we had a shared basement underneath the apartment and we never mentioned it again. <laughs> Until I moved to Idaho. 
And we go downstairs, and we're, we're packing up everything, taking up the truck. And Lori said, would you finally get rid of that ad machine? I'm like, I think I can fix that thing. I brought that stupid thing with me to Idaho. And four years ago, I finally pitched the thing. Finally pitched the thing. And here's the deal. I walked inside, and I told, I told Lori, like, yeah, you were right. I wasted my money on that. And I, be, just being forced to admit something is just the worst thing ever. And, 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 and listen, we've all been there. We have all done that. If you're like, I have not ever had to do that, you need forgiveness. And that's what we're talking about today. I'm just telling you right now. But there are three uncomfortable facts that every believer has to acknowledge about forgiveness this morning. And so I'm going to have you start writing here at the very beginning before we even jump in. We're going to, we're going to, address, we're going to talk about these facts and then we're going to open up the word and, and, and talk about this. Fact number one, for the believer, forgiveness is not optional. I don't like to, I, I don't want to admit that. I try to ignore the fact. But guys, as painful as it is to acknowledge, listen to me, forgiveness is not optional. I quoted, if you weren't here last week as we kicked off this, uh, the, this series, we talked about the three pillars of forgiveness, honesty, humility, and release. I looked at what Jesus said in Matthew, and right after he taught us the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, he said this in, in verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And so, guys, as, as, this is painful. And, and by the way, me saying this is not me minimizing the real wrong that has been done, okay? But for the believer, forgiveness is not optional. Don't like that. Don't want to admit it, but it's true. Number two, fact number two, forgiveness is not fair. Forgiveness is not fair. What, whatever, whatever happened, anytime that we're wrestling, when it comes to letting go, when it comes to forgiveness, listen, there was something behind it, okay? Now, is the, are there some people who are just like overly sensitive? Yeah, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking about where there has been genuine wrong done, okay? Forgiveness is not fair. And when we look at forgiveness, especially when it, when, you know, the, the, the just, you know, the justness and, and all, all of that sort of thing, we, we, we have to acknowledge the fact that God's grace is not fair. That's why it's grace. And so what, what, what happens is we, we, obviously we want to receive God's grace. Thank God for his grace. We're children of wrath. But instead, he changes our direction, saves us, thanks to grace by faith in Christ's work on the cross. We love it on one hand, and we'll sing amazing grace until God asks us to be a dispenser of grace. And what we find out is that grace is not fair. So we, we got to admit that, okay? Number three, the, the, the third hard fact for every believer when it comes to forgiveness is this. Forgiveness is a discipline not a one-time act. So, so like, if we're, if we're talking about forgiveness and, and we're like, well, man, I forgive. And we get, we get to this moment and we can bring ourselves to, to acknowledge. We don't even have to say it to the person, but we can actually get this moment of release. I forgive you. Um, 
it doesn't end there. And you're like, oh, don't tell me that. I've been working to get to that moment. Don't tell me. Now, now listen, you, you remember when Peter came to Jesus in Matthew 18 and he said, how many times am I supposed to forgive? And, and, and Peter is like waiting for the attaboy because he's like, seven times? Is that it? Seven times? Because that's like, com that's completion, man. That's the number of completion. And he's like, okay, come on, tell me I'm right. Come on, come on, come on. And, and Jesus is like, no, uh, 77 times. If you have the King James, it, it translates that 70 times 7. Whatever the point is, what, what Jesus is saying is, is forgiveness isn't a one-time act. It's, it's a discipline. It's, it's a life. And, and, and I think we understand how temptation works in some areas, and, and we miss that sometimes when it comes to this area of forgiveness. So, so for instance, if there is a person that struggles with porn, Okay, let me just, let me take a sin that like everybody just likes keep under the surface. We never talk about that. Okay, somebody struggles with porn and the Holy Spirit in grace, God speaks the heart through the Holy Spirit. There's conviction of this and, 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 and man, there is, there, first of all, you confess, you confess that what God's saying is right, that what I'm doing is wrong. You call sin what it is. There's repentance. There's a turning. We know that, man, thanks, thanks to grace, there's forgiveness. God gives forgiveness. But, but let me ask you this. Is, is the last time, did, did, does, does the temptation to go down that road end at repentance? No. The temptation's going to be there again. It's not like that temptation is, honestly, let's just any sin. Eating stuff you shouldn't eat. Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> you're you're, you're going to be tempted. Listen, that is a very real thing. Here's the thing. We get that when it comes to sins, to, to a lot of sins. We, we think when it comes to forgiveness many times that, that I do this once and, and man, we can go. We're, we're good. I've got to place forgiveness. It's great. I'm never going to be tempted. I have, I have released it. We've let it go. Praise God. Let's move forward. No, 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 no. Forgiveness is not the same thing as forgetting. And because, listen, if we could forget when we forgive, we'd never struggle with it. We literally be able to forgive. We never remembered again. We're able to move forward. But forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not ignoring or, or minimizing the sin that happened to you. It was real. Forgiveness is, is not saying, oh yeah, since I forgive you, I can eliminate all boundaries and I can just let you do whatever you want. No, we're going to talk about that next week. There's a lot of manipulation that takes place. There's, there's, there's wrong that, that continues. When you forgive, it does not mean the sinning against you stops. What I'm talking about, what, what we're talking about this morning, though, is something different. In fact, when we, when we talk about forgiveness, we're going to look at something totally different. And so this morning, as we dig into Philemon, just to give you a little quick a summary. Uh, by the way, some of you are, like, still looking for Philemon. It's, like, little... One page before Hebrews, right? It's like the shortest letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. And he wrote it to a guy named Philemon. He, he was this guy's spiritual father. He, Philemon is a good man, and, and we're going to look at that. But he had a servant. Uh, he's called bond servant here. Really, he's a slave. We talked about the whole slave thing last week. If you missed that, jump into that. But, but Onesimus has wronged Philemon. He, is, he has shirked his duty. He has run. He has stolen. Um, there, there's, there's, there's something there. And, and, and so we don't know how this happened. We just know that Onesimus ends up running to Paul. He ends up uh, where Paul is, is uh, incarcerated. He's in prison. Uh, and, and somehow, we don't know the story. We just know that there's a gospel transformation that takes place in Onesimus' life. 
In fact, Paul says, formerly he was useless, now he is useful. And here's the awkward thing that's happened. Paul, who is the spiritual father of Philemon, the one who has been wronged, now finds himself in this awkward position where he's also the, the one who has introduced Onesimus to the transformational power of forgiveness, and he's also a person that, that God has used in the life of Onesimus. And so Paul, in his wisdom, does not take sides. Actually, he sends Onesimus on a, on a mission that's probably going to be one of the hardest missions that, that Onesimus will ever face. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks, a mission of reconciliation. But he sends him with a letter asking Philemon to forgive. Now listen, Philemon has been wronged, okay? Within the context, the culture, like, well, slavery is a terrible thing. I explained a little bit about what the context was last week. This isn't an issue of, of the morality of slavery. We're talking about in this day and age, in the culture, even with Onesimus, there would have been an understanding of, of right and wrong. And so there was wrong that had taken place here. So Philemon has handed this letter. And in, in verse 8, I want us to look at this. We, 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 we introduced this last week. We're going to spend some time here. Paul wrote to, he wrote to Philemon, he said, Accordingly, though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. Now, I want, I want to pause. He, what's he appealing to him on? Well, if we keep on reading, he is appealing to him to forgive. But I want us to look at that little phrase. For love's sake, I appeal to you. Okay, so what love is he, what, what are we talking about here? What are we talking about? You, you know, talking about Paul's love for Philemon, because of my love for Philemon, I'm appealing to you? Is Paul saying, because of my love for Onesimus, I'm appealing to you? Or, or is he appealing to Philemon's love for him? I don't think so, because he, if we'll go back to give us some context in verse 4, in the, the greeting, here's what he says. We've learned something about Philemon. When Paul writes in verse 4, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Look at verse 5. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have. Here, here's, here's the love that he's talking about. The love and the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And so when he says, I, I can command you, but I'm not going to do this. I'm actually going to go back to what I'm pointing out. This love that you have for Christ, this love that you have for, for the saints. I'm going to appeal to you on the basis of love. He's not appealing to Philemon on the basis of horizontal relationship. Just forget what took place. No, because that doesn't happen. He's, he's not saying, hey, just let it go. It's not that big of a deal. It was a big deal. But he's appealing to him on the basis of a vertical relationship first, the love that he has for Christ Jesus. He's appealing to him on a vertical level, level before he ever gets to the horizontal level. And here's a question I want us to talk about for the next few minutes. What if, what if the how of forgiveness has everything to do with the love and the faith that we have towards Jesus Christ? What if forgiveness is not what we think it is, uh, you know, merely a transactional action between one person who's been wronged and, and the offender? What if, what if literally forgiveness is worship? Because I believe it is. In fact, if you're taking notes, I, I've got two big points I'm going to leave with you today. The first one is this. We forgive, here's how we forgive. For those of you that are asking, we forgive through desperate, painful Worship. We forgive through desperate, 
painful worship, but I want to get real practical because this last week has been a really tough week for me, okay? And here's why. Anytime that, that we do a series like this, it stirs up a lot of stuff that a lot of, a lot of people don't want to think about. For, for many of us, what the wrong that maybe happened not just months ago, but years ago, we, it's like we are coping and the way we're coping is we're just shoving this down. We haven't addressed this. We're, we're trying our best to forget. We're trying our best to move forward. But what we talked about last week, we, man, we cannot release what we won't address. We have to address this. And so this week, literally, guys, I have had more crazy conversations than a lot of weeks prior. And guys, you got to know my heart has been broken. I've heard some horrific, horrific stories. Horrific stories of abuse as children. And some of you guys, you, you have shared stories and literally, I, it makes me sick to my stomach. And you got to know, man, as a pastor, my heart breaks. Dude, that is, it's evil. It's evil what some of you have faced. Some of you, man, it was, it was a marriage. Somebody, man, you made vows and they made vows to you. And, and th- man, the, the breaking of those vows, there is a wound that is deep. We're not talking about like a little surface saying, hey, I'll get over this. We're talking about wounds that go deep that touch every part of the life. Like identity, it, it touches identity, value, future, hope, all of that. Man, it's, it, it's real. And, it's, and, and man, it's a number of different things. Relationships, friendships, uh, parents and kids. Listen, man, I I literally, some of you, and I say some of you, I I don't know who all is here, but man, this week, some of you wanted to shoot the messenger. You did not like the fact that I preached this message. And and listen, I get that on one one level, but man, you got to know, this is the best thing for some of us. We got to deal with this. I've had people almost screamed. They've been so angry. And they said, I can't let go. I don't want to let go. The, the person, what they did is wrong. Get it. Some, but on the other hand, there's been a lot of, a, a, some of the conversations, I won't say a lot, some of the conversations are saying, I want to, I just don't know how to do this. Guys, listen to me. The only way this is possible is through a painful, desperate act of worship. And when I'm talking about forgiveness, I'm not talking about a transactional thing. Listen, God wants more for us than a transactional relationship. He wants transformational relationships. And the only way this is possible is through this painful, desperate worship. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Romans 12 because I'm gonna, I want to look at this in, in, in light of this. In light of this, Romans 12, the very first verse, very first verse of, of Romans 12, I, w- I want us to, to read this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Now, catch this, which is your spiritual worship. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you, I'm appealing to you. We got that word again. I'm a, appealing to you. This time by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Okay, now I want us to think about this in the context of how can I forgive? Okay, so, so he's, he's, told, he's told Philemon, I'm appealing to you on the base for, for love's sake. 
for love's sake. Now, real quick, let me, let me just say something. In, in Scripture, we find salvation mentioned in three different tenses. Okay? Past, present, and future. So, so for instance, the past tense of salvation, we know we have been saved. Uh, you, Paul, Paul writes in, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, by grace you have been saved. So there is a past tense of salvation, but there's also a future tense of salvation. We will be saved. Romans 13, 11, Paul writes, salvation is near to us now than when we first believed. So I want to pause here. I want to pause here. So we have, we're just going to start over here. This is where the journey begins, right? This is when God saved us thanks to the work of Christ. And aren't you thankful that we can know that we know that we know that we know that we know that the work has been done. Christ has done the work. We have become children of God. We have been saved by grace through faith. Isn't that awesome? That is just a beautiful, beautiful thing. But, but life doesn't just end here and we say like on a treadmill, tre- treadmill, treadmill, tre- man, I'm like food and treadmill. I'm trying to put it together. You know, that's a, but treadmill, we don't stay here. We know that there's coming a day we will be saved. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. When? At the day of Christ Jesus. What's it talking about? When Christ comes back. Or, man, for, for us, this life, man, the, the, man, our fallen nature, all of the junk that we struggle with in this life, can I just give you some good news? We have been saved And man, our standing is different in heaven thanks to what Christ did. But there's coming a day when our faith will become sight. We are going, we're going to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. We're going, we're going to experience eternal life. This is awesome. Have been saved, will be saved. What happens in the middle? You know, this is actually, there's another tense. There's a present tense to salvation. Because Paul also writes that we are being saved. We are, we are being saved. 1 Corinthians 1.18, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so what happens in, in the gap, what happens in the middle, we start the journey, there's coming a day when, when what God started in us is going to be completed. In the middle, we are being saved. And you know how we're being saved? It literally speaks, it's, it's this big, you know, 16-cylinder word called sanctification, Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 6. It literally is the process by which we are made more and more like Jesus Christ. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in transforming us. But you know what our part is? To present ourselves, our bodies, a living sacrifice. Okay, so let's just talk about sacrifice for a while. Once again, we're thinking of this in the context of forgiveness, but I want to say this. There are many of us this morning, maybe it's not forgiveness. And so while I, this is going to be the focus of what I'm looking, back, looking at, maybe there's something else that the Holy Spirit is going to be faithful. So don't use it as like, hey, I'm not struggling in that area. If there's any area that needs, that, that we're holding on to, just, man, God and his faithfulness will challenge us today. And I love this. But it's going to get kind of weird, okay? So you've heard of an altar, Right? Like, like, like when I was a kid, uh, went to a church, we had an altar in the front of the church. In fact, we got a picture of, of, of an altar that we'll throw up. So this guy's praying at an altar. So it was like a wooden type thing. Now, now listen, I love, I have great memories of what took place at an altar. 
many of us have a sentimental attachment, and many times we focus on the object rather than what takes place at the altar. The issue is not that this. Now, I, I, lo- I love this, but this is not the, an Old Testament altar. Because in, in Old Testament, it's just a s- symbolic of this. This is our modern thing. We think of an altar, we think of this. I, I want you to throw up the next picture, and we're, we're going to show, th- these are some ancient altars that, that we see referred to in Scripture. And so when you see sacrifices being made, we have everything from, like, like for instance, Jacob, when he has this encounter with God in Genesis, he sees a ladder going up to heaven, he ends up making a sacrifice. It would have been like either on one of those rectangular mounds or, or some unmarked stones where he builds an altar. There are times that the children of Israel are called called to build an altar. Um, then then we, we, see, we see here, like, for instance, the bronze-covered wood altar. Uh, th- this would have been part of the mosaic, the, you know, the mosaic uh, tabernacle that we read about in Exodus. We see the tabernacle being built. They had an altar that was mobile that could be carried by which they would offer sacrifices. The solid bronze altar is, that comes from what we read of Solomon's temple. It was a massive altar. It was 25 foot by 25 foot, 12 and a half foot tall. It had, uh, it had uh, either steps or, the, you know, in this depiction, it's a ramp uh, that, that goes up there. But you, could, you literally could sacrifice, man, just a ton of animals at the same time. And if you read, if you, read you know, for instance, uh, through 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, you see that they would, you know, offer multiple sacrifices. Now, here's the deal. When we, when we think about offering ourselves a living sacrifice, we don't think of sacrifice today. But to the Jews, this was, this was going on right now. As Paul's writing this, the temple has not been torn down. There is still sacrifice being made. So the Jews would have understood this whole idea of sacrifice. Now, what would happen in a sacrifice is that the entire animal, so let's just, let's just pretend I've got this little platform in front of me. Let's just say this is an altar. Okay? There'd be a grate, there's a fire underneath. The entire animal, minus the hide, would be thrown on the altar, and this was a sacrifice that was intended for something. Now, if you read through, like, like if you're reading through the Bible, you get to, like, we get to Leviticus, we're like, I'm skipping that book. It's like, yeah, there's some weird stuff going on there. I don't get what they're talking about. Man, it's just like over the top, talks about all these sacrifices and offerings, and what in the world's going on there? What, take some time, actually read through it with a study Bible instead of just, if you just like read through it with zero context, you're going to be lost, and I get that. Read through it with a study Bible, there are all kinds of resources online. But the whole point of a sacrifice, the reason this was such an important part of worship, was it was a means by which sin could be atoned for, and that thing that separated us from God, that created a distance that could be atoned for, and an intimacy with God could actually be enjoyed. This was, the, this was the purpose of a sacrifice. It literally was atoning for the sin, not just so we could say, yeah, I'm a terrible, horrible person, forgive me, and let's move forward. The point of this is, has always been from the very beginning to today, intimacy with the Father. Like, for instance, if there's, like, if some of you might have happened today, like, you, you fight with your spouse, like, like on the way to church, you do not want to listen to what they're listening to on the radio. And like, it just, there's a little distance right now. You just need to confess. You need to forgive. You know, we're, we're here. Anytime there's, there's, there's like something that's there, doesn't it affect, like, ev- like it affects your mealtime. Like when you go to sleep, like, like it affects that. You don't always, when there's, when there's tension there, there's, there's an offense, something disrupts the relationship. 
Like, you don't even want to pray together. Can, can we just be honest? I, I, hey, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm just laid here. I'm a pastor. But when Lori and I have our intense moments of fellowship <laughs> about ab machines or whatever else, dude, dude, sometimes it gets me. I'm, I'm going to tell you, I struggle to pray with her like at night, like I'm supposed to lead my family. I wrestle with that. Like, oh, man, we got to find another church. I'm going to tell you right now. If you thought when you came to Grace, you had found a perfect church with perfect people, we're going to mess you up. You need to find another church. I'm telling you, we will mess you up. No, what, what I know is, man, when there's, when there's wrongs, even if you're the one that's been wrong, that, that there's something that, that exists there. The purpose of sacrifice is not simply to admit I'm a sinner. That's not the point. It's to restore the intimacy of the relationship. And so when Paul says to present your bodies a living sacrifice, he's saying, do this not just so you can humble yourself and you feel better about the fact you humble yourself. Do this so you can have this intimacy. This is what worship is all about. It's, it's putting our trustful, God, you've got this. And, and remember, our definition of forgiveness, forgiveness, how do we forgive? It's a painful, desperate act of worship. It's literally trusting God. Now, have you ever found it difficult to trust God? Can we, anybody ever wrestle with that? I just met with a guy yesterday, man, a guy I have confidence in, God's using, all that sort of thing. And he just told me, he said, man, I'm in a season where I am struggling to trust God, not because God's untrustworthy. It's just because I can't see. I can't see what's going to happen. And so I, I don't want to let go. I don't want to release. That's our issue when it comes down to forgiveness. We, we struggle to let go of things. And so we put our hope and our love for something or someone other than God at times. Like, like we'll, we'll present ourselves like part of ourselves as a sacrifice. Like I'll, I'll put this much of me on the altar. This part, maybe we'll even have like over here, but I'm kind of like leaning back or like, I got this part over here, all right? No, 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 that's not your spiritual act of worship. Spiritual act of worship, they didn't lay part of the animal on the altar, they put it all on the altar. Many times, we put our trust in something that we think is gonna deliver. So for instance, I'm gonna use a stupid illustration, but I think it's hilarious, and so I'm gonna just throw this out here. You know Pastor Matt Ritchie. Pastor Matt is the, he is the greatest guy, one of my closest friends. I love this guy. He has one major flaw. <laughs> and I'm just going to call it out. He trusts way too much. He puts way too much emotional investment into Penn State football. I'm just telling you right now. And his wife, Mindy, sitting on the front row, she knows exactly what I'm talking about. And here's the deal. Every time Matt preaches, he's going to throw in a Penn State reference. But can I tell you something? Nobody has let Matt Ritchie down more than Penn State football. <laughs> In fact, every person needs to have the opportunity of watching a Penn State football game with Matt Ritchie. I was just talking to, to, uh, about this with Matt earlier. Uh, this was like a week or two ago. And, and a couple years ago, I invited him over because it was Penn State and Ohio State. Penn State had a really good team that year. And uh, it's probably three years ago because it's been a while since they had a good team. But anyway, uh, <laughs> and so they're playing Ohio State. They should beat Ohio State. And, and I'm kind of excited because I don't like Ohio State really. And uh, she so comes over to our house. We're watching the game. And I, I just want, I, I kept my camera going. I just want you, I recorded this. This is the start of the game. This is the start of the game. 
this is how Matt begins. He begins by saying, oh man, they're going to screw this up. I know they're going to screw this up, but man, I love them and then they're going to screw this up. That's how the game starts. Now listen, Penn State started off on fire. So I want you to go to the next. I had my camera going. And so he was excited. They like scored. He's like, yes, he literally, Matt is the most chill person on our staff until Penn State scores. Then he loses his mind. The third quarter, or yeah, we got into the second half and things didn't look so good. And literally by the end of the game, here was Matt. <laughs> and I, <laughs> right now, Mindy wants to kill me. But listen, listen, we did not stage this. This is Matt. Man, his, um, he is fully, he goes all in when he's watching Penn State football. Nobody has wronged Matt like Penn State has wronged Matt. In fact, he walked out, they ended up losing, and he told me, like straight face, and he was serious, he was not joking. He's like, I am never watching a Penn State game with you ever again, and closed the door and left. Here's, here's the thing, man. I, I use that, I use this, this example. What, what we do, anytime that we, whether it's somebody else, whether it's we, we're going to forgive once we see enough remorse out of the person, whether we are putting the trust in ourselves, man, as soon as I make the decision that they can be forgiven, anytime we're trusting anything, if, if forgiveness is anything other than worship, we're probably gonna struggle with forgiveness. In, in fact, probably it's going to be something that keeps us from health. And can I tell you that God wants more than us just humbling ourselves. He wants health for his children. And what I know is what I've heard this week, the wrongs that have been committed, it hasn't just had a spiritual impact on you. It has impacted your physical health, your mental well-being, your ability to parent, to, to have even intimacy within a marriage. Listen to me unforgiveness and bitterness, when we've been wrong, it, 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 it hits everything. And so the last thing I want to leave you with is this. Painful worship. It's, listen, forgiveness isn't just this desperate, painful worship, but, but I want to qualify this. It's painful worship that is marked by this phrase, I trust you regardless. I trust you regardless. I trust you whether or not I see change in the person. I, I trust you whether or not there's, there's ever reconciliation. I, I trust you even if I never can forget. And even if there are wounds that remain, I am still painfully and desperately going to worship you, not this but by presenting myself a living sacrifice. And church, as we close this morning, this is the struggle. As long as forgiveness rests on my ability, my choice, my decision, man, I'm going to wrestle. I'm going to say the words and I'm going to mean it when I say the words. But then the temptation is going to come back and I'm going to remember. And in the night I'm going to wake up and I'm going to remember the wrong. And I'm going to remember that for, it wasn't fair that I forgave them. They didn't deserve forgiveness. 
And the temptation's going to come and I'm going to be tempted to pick that up. And man, I'm going I'm to wrestle. God, I forgave. Why am I? Why, what's the deal? Look, look, forgiveness is not horizontal. Forgiveness is a desperate, painful act of worship and surrender. And when Paul is writing to Philemon, and he says, for love's sake, I appeal to you. He's going back, I'm appealing to you on the love that I've seen in you for Christ. You've started this journey, but you didn't. Worship is not just starting the journey. Worship isn't gonna happen just when we walk through the gates, we, ex- we experience all that heaven has. We're on a worship of journey. We're on a journey of worship, so the backwards, journey of worship. And what it is, it's a, it's not a one-time thing. It literally is a surrender. This is the only way we get to verse 2 of chapter 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And that word transformed comes from the, it's a Greek word, word metamorphal, the same word from which we get metamorphosis. Metamorphosis is change from the inside out. The transformation, not being conformed to the world, isn't something that we, we just make a decision, I'm not going to do this. It literally, the only way this is possible is by presenting ourselves a living sacrifice. And church, as we, as we close today, for some of us, this is at the heart. This is the how. It's not forgetting how to get past this, how to get to a place of mental health. Listen, all of those things are important. But it starts with worship. There's a sacrifice that has to be made. A dead sacrifice? How many, times that ha- how many times do you offer a dead sacrifice? One time. A living sacrifice? It's this time. It's today. It's tomorrow. It's next week. This is the journey where forgiveness stop. We stop viewing it as a one-time act. It literally becomes the life to which God has called us. But it's a transformation that happens. And what happens is God allows us to understand his will. As long as we're holding on to anything, whether it's forgiveness, anything, as long as we're holding on to anything, we cannot know his will because we will not submit. But when we're on the altar, transformation can finally take place. And I want to do something as we close the service. I want you to stand. I want... Uh, Britain to come out. Team's going to get in place. They're going to, we're, we're going to dismiss here in just a second. But I'm convinced this week as I have been praying, as I've been having conversations, I've been processing through this whole thing. I, I think for many of us,
the struggle that we have is, is viewing forgiveness as an act of worship. And, and, and so I, I'm going to tell you what, what I'm, I'm, I'm going to call you to do this. If, if the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, listen, I'm not here to manipulate. I don't, I don't like playing games with people's emotions. That's not what I'm here for. But if the Holy Spirit has been faithful to speak to you and you've been trying to hold on and, and he's saying, today, I'm asking you for this. Would you just release it? Literally, I'm asking you to be a living sacrifice. I'm asking you for your spiritual act of worship. For If he's asking, what I want you to do is I want you to come forward. And, and here's, I just want to tell you what's going to happen. We're going to pray with you, and this prayer is not going to change everything, okay? How's that for an anticlimactic whatever? It's like, this isn't going to change everything. But it's going to be the, the next step that God's calling you to. It's going to be a step towards freedom. It's going to be a, a step of, of surrender. It literally, you're going to surrender today. But then you're going to surrender tomorrow, and this is going to be part of the journey. But for some of us, we've never taken that step and he's calling us to this. And so what I want to do, I'm just going to pause for just a few seconds. We've had several come forward already in the first service. If this is you, I just want you to step out and I want you to come up here and we're going to pray with you. And I'm, I'm just going to wait just a few seconds. If this is you, I just want you to step out so we can pray with you. And then I'm going to close and we're, we're, we're going to go. Anybody today, you're just, you're, you're resting. It's like, this is my next step. All right. Just come forward. Come forward. You can stand. You can kneel. Just come on forward. This is my next step. God, it's not fair. I'm not admitting that the wrong didn't happen because the wrong did happen. I'm just, God, it's release. Surrender. Surrender. Anybody else? I'm just going to, a couple seconds. A couple seconds. still have some people coming. I just want to pause. I want any of our, our staff, our, our prayer team, whoever, just guys, just gather in, just start praying with people. Father, I thank you for the work that you are doing. I want to thank you for your faithfulness in speaking. God, thank you for how you're transforming us, even, man, through the painful, the pain of letting you have things that are so difficult. And God, what I'm praying this morning in the name of Jesus is that worship would take place. I don't know what's represented in, in each person that's come forward, but God, I just know that they're just coming saying, you can have this. I'm giving it to you and I'm trusting you with this. God, a living sacrifice, that's, we just, we're putting ourselves in the altar. So God, today I want to thank you in advance for what you're going to do. But God, I want to pray for each person. Maybe, maybe they're still wrestling with this. Like so many that I've talked to, I, oh, I can't let go. God, please, in your grace and goodness, would you release them? You want to heal them. You want to heal them. And I pray that that would take place. May we be healed as we trust, as we worship. And God, for what you're going to continue to do, I want to thank you for this. I know you're not done with us. And God, I'm thankful for the fact that you're still working. And I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. And all God's people said,
Man, thank you so much for being here. You feel free to go. Remember, Tuesday nights are prayer and praise service. We're going to keep praying. So if you're here, pray as long as you need to. But we're, we're, we're going to pray. But you're dismissed. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.